you have your copy of God's Word, uh, please look at Luke chapter 11. If you can, please stand with me if you're able to do that wherever you are. Luke chapter 11, we've been making a journey through this wonderful gospel for the last several months, taking some time for other special times of focus, but this has been our guide, and we cannot have enough of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, right? <laughs> How absolutely powerful. Let's begin reading verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Would you join me in prayer, please? And now we come to you, our great shepherd and king, and thank you, yes, we thank you, that no matter the journey we take, you are ever with us. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil, for you are with us. We worship you, O Lord, for this gospel that we can claim and hold, believe and share. And we ask today that as we gather around your word, Lord, open our hearts. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying in this hour. Lord, I pray that your word will go forth. Send out your life and your truth. Let it lead us to your presence in worship. Lord, may your word be powerful as it goes out from all the churches that are sharing the gospel and truth today in our community. Lord, let there be light in this darkness. Lord, bless all of our partners who are sharing the light of the gospel around this country, around the world. We lift them up to you. And now, oh Lord, we ask that you will so work that in this hour, this hour of light, that our hearts would be brought to the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And oh, Lord, forbid that we should drift farther into the darkness. Hear our prayer. Open our eyes that we may see Jesus. We ask this in his name. 
And God's people said, Amen. Amen. May be seated. I was reading an article this week, caught my attention. It's about a lady by the name of Elsie Eiler. Now, Elsie Eiler is a woman of many talents and many responsibilities. As a matter of fact, in the town in which she lives, Elsie is the mayor. Elsie is the chief of police. Elsie is the librarian. Elsie is the director of public utilities. And Elsie is also the local bartender. Now, how is this possible? Because Elsie Eiler lives in Monoway, Nebraska, the smallest town in the United States, population of one. <laughs> population of one. Smallest town in the United States. And Elsie Eiler runs it all. But now something big happened in the smallest town in the United States just a couple of years ago. Manaway, Nebraska, population one, became the site of the largest advertisement sign on earth. The largest advertising sign on earth was created right outside Manaway, Nebraska, population one. I'm sure Elsie could see it without her glasses. But it was actually stretched out on the ground. It covered five acres, over 200,000 square feet. And what incredible message would be put on the largest advertising sign on the face of the earth? This message, Arby's now has Coke. <laughs> that was the message. Arby's now has Coke. That just shifted the whole earth on its axis when that was made known. But they came up with that idea, I guess at Arby's, to have the smallest town with the biggest sign, five acres, over 200,000 square feet. But can I tell you in reality, that is not the biggest sign on the face of the earth. It does not even come close to the biggest sign. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in this passage that we just read from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is a sign that doesn't just cover five acres, it covers the whole earth. There's a sign that's not just written in English, it's written in every language. It is a sign that will never go out of date. It is a sign that will never be torn down. It is a sign that will last forever. It is the king of all signs. And that's what I want us to see this morning from the Lord Jesus in his word. As the king, he's going to share with us what is the king of all signs. The great king and the greatest of all signs. Now, if you look at the passage, you may remember the scene if you've been with us the last few weeks. The scene is this. Jesus has been teaching his disciples how to pray. He's been revealing to them just how much the Father loves them, how he's devoted to them, how he delights in them and delights in their prayer. He is their Father. What incredible truth. Life-changing truth. And I have been hearing some testimonies from people over the last few weeks that say God has blessed that truth, that He is their Father, 
to their hearts in a way that they've never known before. And it will change your heart, right? When you know that God is your Father, it changes everything. But then Jesus shared this message and teaching his disciples how to pray. And there came a man who couldn't speak at all. He's completely mute. And he was mute because of a, a demon that had taken control of him, had seized his body, afflicting his soul, but had shut his mouth so that he couldn't speak at all. And we're told that Jesus delivered this man of this demon in verse number 14. And you can imagine how this man began to praise the Lord, right? How he was just exclaiming the praises of God. No one could deny that a great miracle had taken place. They couldn't deny the power of the miracles. But the religious leaders denied the source of the miracle. Remember what they said. They said that he cast out demons by the power of the prince of demons, Beelzebub. We read about that in verse 18. They accused Jesus, saying that he casts out demons by the power of demons. Of course, Jesus gives that incredible answer that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan's kingdom cannot be divided. If it's going to stand, Satan can't be divided against himself. He says there's only one explanation of what has happened to this man... You religious leaders who, by your legalism, could never change this man's heart. You had no power over these demonic powers. A stronger man has come on the scene who is able to cast out the strong man, demons, even Satan. And who is that stronger man? Jesus Christ. He's the stronger man. Jesus warns. That what demonic powers, listen carefully, what demons like more than anybody else is a nice religious person who has a form of religion, who reforms his or her life, cleans himself up a little bit from the outside, but there is no transformation on the inside when a new resident comes to live in the house. Demons love people like that. But they cannot share residence when the Spirit of God is resident. Now this is what has been happening, what Jesus has been saying. And while he is saying these things, it touches a woman's heart. A woman's heart is touched by what she has seen, by what she has heard and by what he has done and said, Jesus causes an exclamation of blessing. I want you to see this. This whole passage opens up by what Jesus says about his power, about his sign. Jesus causes an exclamation of blessing. Listen to this lady. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised up her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. She praises the Lord maybe as only a mom can, <laughs> a mother can. She's so touched by what this young man, and Jesus is a young man, is doing and saying. But notice now Jesus' response is interesting to this dear lady's statement. And Jesus' response, I want you to know, has been misunderstood. It's been misunderstood and it's been misunderstood a little bit because it's been, it's been mistranslated. Our, the idea really doesn't come across in our English Bible. It says, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Do you see that in verse 28, it's, it sounds like he's contradicting her, but the idea here is actually, yes, yes. <laughs> he, he's affirming what 
that she has said that, yes, blessed are, blessed is the woman who gave birth to him. Blessed is the one at whose breast he was nourished. But he takes a moment to say there's a deeper blessing. Yes, my, my mother was blessed, but there's a deeper blessing that I want you to be aware of. And he says this is the blessed person, the truly blessed person. And he explains who that truly blessed person is. Look, if you would, at verse 28, as he explains who the truly blessed person is, the truly blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now let's stop here. Jesus is affirming his mother. He loved his mother dearly. And his last thoughts before he gave up his life on the cross was for his dear mother. And he gave the care of his mother to his dear friend and closest disciple, John. That it was very clear that Jesus did not want his mother to be given a, a position higher than that which was the position he has and the treasure that he shared. And there is a lot of religion that, can, that goes wrong on that, my friend, right? That exalts Mary to near equality with Jesus. What is he saying about the blessing of Mary? He is saying the blessing uh, that was in Mary's life, his own mother, is the blessing, the greatest blessing. And that is the blessing of those who have faith in the Lord's message and obey it. That is the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is having the Lord's message, hearing the Lord's word, and then by God's grace, obeying that. And that is exactly what Mary did. Mary was a godly young woman. She was not a perfect or sinless young woman. She said she exalted God her Savior. But why is Mary so worthy of our respect? Why is she so worthy of the esteem through the ages? Because when she received an assignment beyond that that any human being had ever received, when she knew what it would mean and counted the cost, what was Mary's response? She believed the message of God and said, Behold, the servant of the Lord. I will do this. She is blessed. But notice what Jesus is saying. All people are blessed. True blessing is obeying by faith the message of God. That's the blessed life. We hear a lot today about the blessed life, don't we? We hear a lot about how you know if someone's living a blessed life. And quite frankly, my friends, at times, in some circles, in some religious circles, how it is defined, the blessing of God, it, it borders on blasphemy. Because how it's defined is that you know that you're blessed of God if everything's going your way. If you're perfectly healthy, you have enough money more than you need, in fact. And whatever you desire, you ask for, you ask for it by faith, you name it by faith, you claim it and receive it. That is the favor of God and that is the blessed life. And my friend, that is not the message of God's word. The greatest blessed life according to Jesus. Don't you think Jesus knows what a blessed life is? Amen. I would say Jesus knows what a blessed life is, and it just enters my mind, maybe we ought to listen to Jesus more than other people. And Jesus said, I tell you rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That is a blessed life. My friend, if you hear God's word and by his 
help and strength, you try, not perfectly, but by God's help, you attempt to live it out day by day, you are living a blessed life. And my friend, the rewards for that are not in this life, but they are certainly to come, right? A blessed life is an obedient life. And no matter if circumstances go well for you, no matter if your profits go up, your popularity goes up, your persuasiveness goes up, your influence goes up, if you're not obeying God, do not deceive yourself. You're not blessed. Blessed life is the obedient life. I love what the old gospel song says. Do you remember it? Some of you, we don't sing it much anymore. It's almost a couple hundred years ago. I go, I guess, what is it? Trust and obey, for there's no other way than to be happy. One is blessed, happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's what Jesus is saying. Trust and obey. You can write that right next to the verse. And then some of you can Google the song because you've never heard that in your entire life. <laughs> That's how Jesus requests many people in this crowd. He wants them to hear what the blessed life is. Because, notice what some folks in the crowd, and the crowds are gathering, and he is repeatedly being asked the same question. The, the, the language makes it very clear, not just once, but repeatedly through his ministry, Jesus was asked the same question. What is that? Verse number 16, others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. A sign from heaven. As if casting out demons, healing lepers, raising the dead, giving voice to the mute, sight to the blind, making people feed off a few loaves and fishes, that's not a heavenly sign. So Jesus responds to their continual request. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. If you give us a sign, we'll believe. Notice what Jesus does next. Jesus exposes the unbelief of the quote-unquote undecided. See, there's folks saying, you know, we just haven't made up our mind about Jesus. Yeah, we've seen all this, heard all this, but just haven't quite made up my mind about Jesus. And Jesus addresses that. He just exposes it. He exposes the unbelief of the quote-unquote undecided. Because these people are not truly undecided at all they are really unbelieving the people who keep on asking for a sign a sign a sign they're not undecided they're unbelieving they're not sincere and honest what we would call agnostics you see the word agnostic just means really i don't know Ah, uh, no, gnosis, knowledge. I, I really don't know, I don't have enough knowledge, but I, I'm willing to seek. That's a true agnostic. Over the years, I've shared here before uh, an event that happened in my life. I was on an airplane one time and flying to a speaking engagement. I happened to be next to a man and uh, wanted to be... A, a friend, and also maybe start a conversation about the things of the Lord. So began to talk to him, found out from where he was, and then I said, you know, you have a church home there. And he said, well, really, I don't attend church, really. Uh, I guess you could say I'm an agnostic. And I said, oh, really, you're an agnostic? Yeah, I'm an agnostic. I said, well, let me ask you, are you an honest agnostic or a dishonest agnostic? <laughs> He sort of, he didn't quite laugh like you just laughed, but he looked at me, his eyes, he said, excuse me? I said, well, are you an honest agnostic or a dishonest agnostic? He said, I don't think I understand what you're meaning. I said, well, an honest agnostic, 
Agnostic means they don't know, but you're seeking to find out the truth. That's an honest agnostic. A dishonest agnostic is somebody who doesn't know and they're not interested in finding out. So I just want to know, are you honest agnostic or dishonest agnostic? So I guess you'd say I'm an honest agnostic. I said, well, good. Because the Bible says, God says, if you will seek me, you will surely find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29. Absolute promise of God. This idea of people seeking God, seeking God, calling out to God, seeking God and can't find Him. Friends, God's not hiding. He's not hiding. As a matter of fact, He promises if you are truly seeking Him with your heart, you will find Him. He says, I will be found by you. Isn't that interesting? Because the real reality is nobody seeks after God. God comes seeking us. And when you've got a stirring in your heart to seek God, that came from God Himself. He is beginning to work and draw. So I said that to this man. And he didn't get off the plane. (laughs) Uh, But he was rather quick to uh, get out of the plane when we got to the gate. You see... A dishonest agnostic cannot find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. Not looking for one. If you're looking for God, you'll find Him. But the reality is, we're not. We're not looking for God at times because we don't want to hear what He might have to say. And so now notice, if a person is not willing to seek the truth, they're involved not just in an agnostic system. Listen carefully. When we don't seek the truth and when we don't receive the truth from God, that's not really an agnostic system. That's an anti-gnostic system. It's the spirit of antichrist. What is the spirit of Antichrist? There is a coming Antichrist, the man of sin. But there are many Antichrists even now, as we're told by John. What is the spirit of Antichrist? The spirit of Antichrist is this. To reject the truth. To reject the truth of Christ in God. To reject the truth... That there is a way for us to be made right with God. And that is through Jesus Christ alone. And the rejection of the rule of God. The rejection of the law of God. Which is ultimately the rejection of the Son of God. That is the spirit of Antichrist. And friend, this world is governed by that spirit. And it is very, very much at work in quote-unquote, the church. That is the mystery of iniquity. That is what Jesus said would happen, that an enemy would sow tares, sow weeds into the field of the kingdom, and that the the tares, the weeds, and the wheat would grow up together. They, They would look alike. But they're not of God. Why? Because the tares don't bow their heads. The tares will not submit. The tares spiritually will not lift up the sun. They'll lift up man, lift up self. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Friends, listen to me. That is the spirit of 666. That is the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast, regardless of what it will be literally in that terrible time of tribulation, it is already here in the spirit of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Or reinventing the Christ of the Bible. Do you understand that there is a very subtle way, and this is not in my notes, I'm trying to follow the 
guidance of the Spirit. There's a very subtle way of being anti-Christ. You take the real Christ and redefine him to be suitable to man. And that is anti-Christ. And my friend, there are shrines and shrines and shrines and shrines to Antichrist today, and many of them have steeples over the top of them. Because the Christ of the Bible has been redefined and offered up as the true Christ of God. Jesus, notice what he does. He just rips away this phony philosophical, ecclesiastical desiring of a sign. He just rips it away. (laughs) Here's how he deals with people who say, I'm really, uh, I would believe if I only had a sign. Here's how Jesus deals with that. Verse 29, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, that's interesting, he waited till more people got there. He, He wasn't saying this, by the way, you know that's wrong. No, he waited. The crowds got big. And then he made this statement. This generation is an evil generation. Why is it an evil generation? It seeks for a sign. A sign. But no sign will be given to it. Except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign... To the people of Nineveh, that is the pagans who lived in the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. Jonah became a sign to them. So will the Son of Man be a sign to this generation. Now notice, he brings up someone from the Old Testament. Many of you familiar with him? Maybe not. One of the prophets named Jonah. He's one of the earliest of the recorded prophets, lived about 800 years before Christ or so. He was a prophet of God and he was given a message by God. I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital city of that wicked people, the Assyrians, and I want you to preach against their behavior and tell them that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Well... He was a prophet of God, but he didn't like God's message that he'd given him. So the Bible tells us that rather than going to Nineveh, he went down to the coast to Joppa. He got in a ship to head to Tarshish. Where's Tarshish? It's Spain. It's as far as you can go across the Mediterranean Sea. He went the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. But what happened? Jonah ran from his assignment, but God sent a specially prepared submarine (laughs) to go get him off that boat. A storm that would get him off the boat, and then the submarine will pick him up and bring him back. And when he came to Nineveh, he was coming as a whalogram. I mean, he was running to Nineveh with seaweed and whatever else is down in the belly of a whale dripping off of him. If you'd have seen that preacher come to town, you'd probably repent it too. Maybe bleached white by the digestive juices. Hmm. Quite a scene. Now, how is Jonah a sign, though? Jesus says... He's a sign. How is he a sign? How is Jonah, who lived over 750 years before Jesus, a sign to Jesus' generation? How is he a sign? Well, in another account, Jesus tells us. Matthew chapter 12. I told you, have to go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus makes this very similar statement. And notice what he says about the sign of Jonah. Chapter 12, Matthew, verse 39. But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now here is the sign. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now stop here for a moment. There are people who don't believe the story of Jonah and the great whale, the great fish. My friend, Jesus believed it. You better take it up with him. You see, if you say you don't believe in these stories of Adam and Eve, you don't believe in Noah, you don't believe in Lot and Sodom and Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt, you don't believe in the story of the great fish, every story I just told you, Jesus affirmed with his own teaching. Jesus said the word of God stands forever. He believed the Bible. But what's the sign of Jonah? Jonah was three days, three nights, three days in the belly of that whale. And he said, here's the only sign that's going to be given to this generation. It is the sign of Jonah, the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And he will be resurrected. And that is the sign for this generation. And it's the sign for all the generations to come. The sign for that generation and all the generations. It is the one universal, unequivocal, undisputable sign that Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah He was murdered by being crucified on a Roman cross. He was buried and the third day he came back to life and came out of that grave proving that he was a son of God and that his substitutional sacrifice had been accepted by the Father and all who believe in him are forgiven all their iniquities and made inheritors of the kingdom of God. That's the sign. Yeah, no, that's a sign. I'm telling you. That's the only sign there is. It's the great last final sign. You know what they, the man from hell, remember the rich man? He said, oh, Father Abraham, send someone from the dead. My brothers, I don't want them to come to this place. Surely they will believe if somebody would come back from the dead. And what did Abraham say to them according to Jesus? My son... If they do not believe the word of God, if they don't believe the law and prophets, they would not believe even if someone came back from the dead. And guess what? Jesus Christ came back from the dead. He rose from the dead. It is the most indisputable fact in the history of the world. There has nothing has ever taken place on this earth that's been as confirmed by as many testimonies, eyewitnesses, and confirmed by the transforming power in life, in nations, in history, as Jesus Christ was dead, buried three days, and he rose again from, by the power of God. That is the bedrock. That's God's message. It's the good news. What did Paul say? I share with you that which is of the utmost importance, the first importance. He says, this is what I share with you. I teach you many things. I teach you the word of God. But I share with you first, above all things, that Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the power of God to salvation. We share that message and it will save people to the uttermost. It saves people in every country, every people group. It saves them to the uttermost and thank God it saves to the guttermost. You cannot go down far enough where the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot reach. It's the power of God. It's the sign. Jesus is the final sign. He's the final sign. And he is God's salvation for all who truly believe. That's what he told that generation. Now notice. Jesus gives some examples of true believers to these unbelievers. He gives some examples of true believers 
to these unbelievers that are standing before him, who are asking a sign. He says, let me give you a couple examples of people who truly believe. And he shares two examples from Jewish history, but boy, does this make them mad because the people who are the heroes in his story aren't Jewish, they're Gentile. That wasn't very seeker-sensitive. He chose two ancient witnesses of what it means to be a true believer, and then he said, these two witnesses will be your future accusers. If you do not believe. On the day of judgment, these two ancient witnesses will be in the future those who can, can accuse you and convict you on the day of judgment. Who's the first witness? The first witness, verse 31, is this lady called the Queen of the South. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation. She will condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, Queen of the South, that's not the name of a riverboat on the Tennessee River, okay? Queen of the South here is often referred to as the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba, story of her told in the Old Testament. She came to see the great king Solomon. Where is Sheba today? It's on the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula, down below Saudi Arabia, modern-day Yemen. Modern-day Yemen. She made a journey in that day of over 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles to see if what she'd heard about King Solomon was true. And you remember, she made that trip. She saw all that he possessed. She saw all of his wealth, heard all of his wisdom. And what did she say? She said, I tell you, I thought I had heard it all, but the half had not been told to me. And what did Jesus say? Something greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> now, you've got, to make yourself a, a, you've got to make yourself a Jewish person. The greatest moment in the history of the Jewish people, their greatest golden age, was a 40-year reign of Solomon. And here is a rabbi from Nazareth saying something greater than Solomon is here. What's greater than Solomon? There is the greater kingdom that Solomon that is here in front of you because the king is here in front of you the king eternal is in front of you the king of Israel is in front of you and my friend he does not just have wisdom the apostle Paul says in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom all the treasures of wisdom my friend Jesus is the answer. He is incomparably wiser than all the philosophers, all the sages, all the brilliant people of the ages are as nothing compared to Jesus. He is the wisest of all. As a matter of fact, He is the answer. You know, I can still see in my mind's eye, I can still see my dad driving down our street. I can see him coming around the corner of the street I grew up on, coming down C Avenue in his old brown Plymouth, and the license plate on the front saying, Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. He is the answer. He is the Answer from God. Who are the second witnesses? Verse 32, we must hurry. There's another witnesses. 
The men of Nineveh. These are the people that Jonah was sent to. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation. They'll condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said something greater than Jonah is here. What's he saying? Jonah was a prophet of God who preached the coming judgment of God which led to the repentance by the people of Nineveh so that they were forgiven and they were not destroyed. Jonah was a prophet of God who preached the judgment of God, but Jesus is greater than Jonah because Jesus is not just a prophet of God, Jesus is the Son of God. And He has come to proclaim good news. The gospel, he's greater than Jonah. God's good news. And it's good news not just for one city like Nineveh. It's not just good news for one people. It's good news for all the world, right? It's good news for everyone. Friend, it's good news for you. There's good news for you today, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how you feel about how you have failed, regardless, there is one who is greater in his righteousness and love than you in your sin and disobedience. And that is Jesus Christ. The good news is this, Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners. You say, I'm a sinner. Well, you're just the person Jesus came for. He came for you. Believe on Him. Believe in Him. That's the gospel. He lived for you, died for you. He's risen from the dead. He will save you if you will repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said something greater than Jonah's here. Now, friend, I want you to know Jesus is the final sign and Jesus is the final word. He's the final word. What did John say in his gospel? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Isn't it interesting? The Son of God, his title is the word, the message. But what does it say in verse 14? And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the one and only Son of God, full of grace and truth. (laughs) Who is Jesus? He's the final word. The writer of Hebrews says, listen carefully. You want a sign? You're looking for wisdom? Are you seeking after truth today? Listen to this. Long ago at many times and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed to be heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, that is the Son of God, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after He had made a purification for sins, that is, after He had given Himself on the cross as a sacrifice, He rose from the dead, He ascended to heaven, and He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen, my friend, Jesus is the final word. He's the final sign and He's the final word. Everything God has to say to us is ultimately all in His Son, Jesus, who is the final sign. He is the final word. He is the light. Now the question is, as we come to communion and we prepare our hearts, what are you doing? What's your response to that light? Jesus shares this exhortation, and I just read it, and then we will start here next time. Notice what he says in chapter 11, verse 33. 
No one, after lighting the lamp, put it under a cellar or under a basket. Now, who's the lamp here? What's the lamp? The lamp here is Jesus. <laughs> the light has come. God has given the lamp. You don't put it in a cellar under a basket. Put it on a stand so everyone can see it. Here's another lamp, though. It's how you perceive the light. It's how you, in your in your mind, in your conscience, how you perceive the light. Your eye, meaning your conscience, your thinking, your value system, your perception, is a lamp of your body. When your eye is open, that is healthy, and you're willing to receive the lamp, then your whole body is going to be full of light. What, what takes the darkness out of your life? The lamp of God, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. But when your eye doesn't want to receive it, your eye wants to reject Him. Listen, you don't stay neutral. Your body is full of darkness. Listen to the warning of Jesus. You've received light. You've heard the light. You've heard the testimony of Jesus. You've heard the testimony of the Word. Some of us over and over and over again. Here's the warning. Therefore, be careful. Lest the light that is in you, your ability to pursue the truth and, and perceive the truth, it becomes darkness. You can't see the light of the truth in Christ. So now your heart becomes dark. And when your inability to see the light darkens you to the lamp of God, then... Even the light in you becomes what? Darkness. And how great is that darkness? How great is the darkness when we turn our eyes from the light? Now, dear friend, here's the final word. The final sign is Jesus. The final word is Jesus. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Amen? Repent. The kingdom is here. The king has come. He has undertaken for sinners. He has taken the place of sinners. He has satisfied the justice demanded for our sins. And he is raised from the dead showing that He is the victorious Son of God and the Savior who all, for all who will believe. Now, here's the good news. Repent. Turn. Turn from your former darkness. Turn. Turn from that night. Turn from that wrong thinking. And turn to the light of Christ. Believe in Him. And the good news of who He is and what He's done for you.